Welcome to the AV Podcast Games Edition. Hello and welcome to AV Forum's Gaming Podcast with me, Mark Potright. Joining me this time is Ben. Hello. Leon. Hello. And Steve. Good evening. Right, so I figure we kick off with a bit of the latest news. Just been announced on Live and BT to release a, their streaming cloud gaming and bringing it to the UK. It's been out in the US since, what, about last summer? Everything's hosted on servers. Hopefully, minimal lag. Will our broadband stand up to it? Is anyone convinced by this? And is anyone overly excited already, as I am? I tried it out um, quite a while ago uh, because the, you can't sign up for a paid to buy stuff, but you could download demos or not download sample demos. And uh, even, even then, without any servers over here or anything, there was virtually no lag. And on a 2006 MacBook, I played Just Clause 2 and it was fine. Wow, sounds Sounds pretty good. What what kind of connection were you on though? Well, um, I think a thirty meg Virgin cable connection. Well, that might explain it then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's a fast it's a fast connection. But I was still, I mean, even uh, just purely from uh, a technical point of view, I was quite impressed. You know, there was no way that that uh, laptop would have been able to play that game. Um, and just the idea that all the graphics, everything about it, was being served up remotely, it was really impressive. Oh yeah, I mean they're they're talking about you know tablets being able to play some pretty decent games as well. So it's you know it it certainly sounds like they're getting around you know the hardware limitations of you know constant upgrade cycles of PC gaming and the like. But um, what do you make? I mean, there have been a few criticisms in the US that because of the kind of um, uh, squeezing down, compression of all the data, that it, it's not quite there in terms of HD quality you know, c- comparable to what you'd play on your 360 or PS3? Um, I think that's the least of the criticisms, to be honest. I think it's the DRM that's the issue. Um, if you, you never own anything, and for me, fundamentally, I think that's my starting point. I want to I be able to own what I've got. It's like the always-on DRM that um, Ubisoft use. I, I, I don't think that... I think if you buy a product, you should be you should be able to buy a product, and you should be able to own that product, and you shouldn't be reliant on an external service to provide you that every time you want to play it. With which is why though, I, I won't sign up for it. Sorry, I was going to say with OnLive though, does it really make that much of a difference when the whole point of it is that it's all on the servers anyway? So if you don't have the internet, then that's that is the service you're paying for. So I, I don't know. I, I just see that the issue of ownership is just slightly different with that service because it is all about being online. Yeah, but because um, the prices aren't that cheap, so you'll—I can't remember off the top of my head what it is—but you'll pay like twenty dollars or something, and you'll be able in, to play a game for five days. Yeah, in the US, I think it's about six dollars for three days, nine nine dollars for five days, or you can get the like a, a full kind of package for something like ten dollars a month, or you know, I, I mean, they're not bad prices if you consider the cost. Still, when you see you know uh, um, marketplace films for sale and the like, you know rent the latest film and they're still you know charging you four quid or something. Mm. And so it's I, I understand the the issue of ownership, but uh, as Leon says, it, it's the fact that basically nothing is in your in is in your living room 
is I suppose what they're kind of trying to sell you on anyway you know the fact that everything is away from you I am just reading it now it's it's, it's quite interesting I, I didn't think because you said it's a five-day pass for eight ninety-nine. I, I didn't think that's how they'd be doing it I thought it would be on a game-by-game basis so it is much closer to rental than actually purchasing the game yeah it, it seems like they're going to have a you know multi-tiered system and the like but um, I mean I, I read something recently saying that um, the quality of our broadband in this country is um, in terms of overall speed and the percentage, um, or should I say the actual speeds that people get, is just slightly higher than in the US. But am I the only one not entirely convinced by that? You can't help but feel that, you know, like the inner cities or the places where you get the super fast lines are kind of skewing that statistic slightly out of kilter. I mean, I know down in the sticks where I am, I'm certainly not getting, you know, 30 meg lines. Oh, my bandwidth sucks eggs. I mean, I, I might in sticks like you and we get nowhere near what we what we, the package was offered and that's my main issue with it because if I buy, like, invest in this service, I pay the initial fee and then want the games, I'm going to have not lag from the actual game, like just from the connection from the server and it's just going to be a complete waste of time because I know that it's going to be another five years before we get broadband services that, like, the inner city gets. So until we've got the actual infrastructure and, like, the capacity to implement it all correctly, I don't think it's it's totally viable outside, like like you say, populated areas and inner cities, really. If they do it like they do in the States, um, I think more or less all of the games let you play a demo. So you'll be able to try the service out for yourself for nothing. And the way the demos work on those ones is rather than just giving you a section of the game, you just start playing and you'd let 10 minutes. I don't know if any of you remember the Just Clause 2 demo that was on the Xbox. That was a similar thing. You just let 10 minutes of free play. Mm. And they do a similar thing with that that works quite well. Yeah, so I you'll rem- be able to try it out and see how it goes. Yeah. I was going to say, I remembered it and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they're, they're, it'll be interesting to see whether... It, it takes a significant impact in the places on the sales of the other consoles in the places where they get the fastest lines or whether they manage to get a decent minimum service you know they can they can work on a minimal speed and all of us will get essentially the same service out of them i mean you can buy the you buy the actual box and you get the the controller and everything or you can go straight through your tv or through your pc so they're they're certainly working on various different options for everyone, and you know the pricing structure in the U.S. seems to indicate that they're, you know, they're they're dipping their toes in the water and they're trying to find a way to make this work for everyone. There's also one other interesting thing about it is there's no privacy in what you're doing in the game. So already um, there's an iPad app available over here that will let you watch other people playing. And as far as I understand it, when you're playing yourself, there's nothing you can't block other people from watching you. And it's not a big deal, and it's quite a neat social feature, but it's just a slightly different way of thinking about games. Because I spent a little bit of time watching someone play Splinter Cell, I think, Splinter Cell Conviction, badly. Kind of having a bit of a laugh <laughs> about it. <laughs> you, know, you know, what are you doing kind of thing. But... Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's what would always be happening. There's always a chance someone's watching you play and they'll kind of vote you up or vote you down. It's, a, it's an interesting, it's a new way of thinking about the way that you go about playing even single player games. I don't See know that? if I like that. I'm no, not I don't. Of that. There's, a lot I don't there's a lot I don't like about it. 
I think. See, I actually, that's one of the features that really sounded good to me, other than when I'm actually playing. You know, the idea of spectating, If say, if you know, you, you're thinking about checking out a particular game or the like, if you could just, you know, pop into someone else's game and spectate, you know, they're saying you can do it en masse, so, you know, everyone kind of watching everyone else, and they're even going to put in voice chat and the like. You know, and there's, I think, uh, Facebook integration, one of their bots said. So they're, they're certainly moving to try and make it some kind of, you know, a social hub. But whether that will make it, you know, a, a nice little friendly place to be or whether it's just going to be ragging on the, you know, the person who's dying every 10 seconds. My guess would be the latter. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> the internet isn't a nice place when anonymity is involved, to be honest. So, unfortunately... But I'm interested in the technology, though. Um, I think it's I think it's the way that it's all going to go. I would see. I'm surprised Microsoft hasn't showed interest in I don't know buying the company or something. They seem directly in line with what they should be doing. I think. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it certainly seems like it's it's going to be a, a new frontier for them to push out to. Because I mean, we had all the talk many moons ago. Did anyone remember like the Phantom console? that was going to do this many moons ago and people said it wouldn't work then and that you know rightly so there there was a reason because our broadband and our you know most people were on 56k modems when it first probably came out the idea popped in someone's head but now a lot of the population are getting pretty decent speeds and you know the only real stumbling block i can i can see to this because you know ben seems to be pretty convinced that you can get a decent service on you know even old technology which is uh, people's caps and their limit use of broadband. I mean, if you're constantly streaming, say if you're, you know, if you've got the latest Elder Scrolls game or something and you want to put in 100 hours or something, can you imagine the amount, the toll that that's going to take on your, on your limit? Mm, they're partnering with BT, though, aren't they? So I would, I would assume that there's some sort of contract that you go into which takes that out of your limit or something like that would be my guess um, well, without, I think they I think they yeah I think they're trying to work with various other broadband providers to make it you know um almost as if it's exempt from the standard uh limited usage yeah. but I, you know how exactly are they going to monitor that you know that's going to be interesting to see but also the amount of wear and tear that would have I mean the, you notice, I mean, I even noticed down my road, uh, you know, peaks and troughs at, um, you know, at peak times and the like. And so it will take a fair old hit if you've got a, a road full of people playing on live and streaming, you know, at, you know, five, six o'clock in the evening. So it certainly sounds a, a fascinating service and I, I'm, I'm going to be uh, signing up to it. But the, one of the things that still kind of holds me back is the same as what Ben was saying earlier, which is um, about not owning something. Now, I've got no real problem with not owning a, a, a digital property outright, but so long as the pricing is there. Because I've, I'm probably one of those foolish enough to have bought a PSP Go and assumed that PSN pricing policy would be in my favour and I'd get lots of PSP games as cheap okay. as you can get them in shops. And it just didn't come out that way. And, you know, they're saying there's going to be, I think, about 100 titles launched for this. But 
will it work out cheaper than renting is the key question i mean if if it doesn't where's when you've got smaller kind of pockets geographically of locations in this country compared to you know say in america if you're out somewhere and you've got to drive miles and miles to your latest uh, to your local rental place in this country that that's not as much of a problem you know you you you've got small streets and there's a blockbuster on every one of them you know is, is that going to prove a problem I think what you they think? would say, though, <clears throat> isn't that the money is saved through rental. It's that the money is saved through not having to upgrade your hardware. So if you're a PC claimer, you don't have to worry about getting a new graphics card or you know updating your machine um, because they'll be handling all that at their end. Um, that's where the saving comes through rather than in the actual pricing of the, the individual titles. Yeah, no, it's a completely fair point. I suppose the only real counter argument to that is that it seems like the people most excited by this at the moment or the people who are actually speaking about this aren't the the kind of casual gamers who would balk at you know having to upgrade their pcs every few years but it seems to be the the kind of tech press picking it up so unless they actually manage to market market it to those people who don't want to be spending that money every upgrade cycle if it's people like us who are planning on you know new graphics card for Battlefield 3 or something <laughs> then they they probably need to, to work on their PR a bit more There is another issue that I've thought of just sat here now is that if there's a security breach like the one with the PSN, the whole service is going to be gone, you, you won't be able to, I'm, I'm guessing you won't be able to play anything so if you if it's down for three weeks like the PSN is, I think people are just going to completely just boycott it after three weeks because yeah, if, if, they, if, if they're could, entire they still, product because mm, they could still play it at home but they just couldn't play it online. But if you're saying you're streaming the game to play at home and their service goes down for three weeks, that's three weeks without your main gaming platform, yeah. if you like. So yeah, it's it's hanging everything ultimately on on reliability. If they've got, if the the servers are, are rock solid, if if you know the infrastructure's there, then it should be you know an excellent way to save a bit of money. If it's not, mm. then it could be you know a few teething troubles there. But It'll all come down to what games are out because I'm sure that's pretty much why everyone buys a new console. And um, has anyone seen anything there that they've they haven't picked up on console or you know they they go so far as to get a, a new service simply for? Not really. No. No. It's all old titles, isn't it? Really. So, mm. like you say, it kind of begs the question. They're advertising it to people who already are gamers who have systems to play the games they want. So why would I want something else? It does seem to me, going back to what you said before, Leon, that um, I can well imagine that they'll try and make a success of it and then a couple of years down the road, they'll try and sell it on to Microsoft or mm. to Sony or whoever, um, that they won't try and run the service independent of the other platforms long term. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look how excited people got at E3. Microsoft didn't announce the cloud saves in the uh, press conference. But then when they shoved it in the notes at the end afterwards, people were over the moon because that's something people want, their, their saves in the cloud, so you don't have to lose them. or it, It's just what, people, what everything's moving towards. So I, I'll assume that everybody else is going to jump on the bandwagon and perhaps blow these guys out of the water unless they can get a significant user base before they get the chance to. Yeah, I mean, if they manage to tie it into you know, BT's existing customers and that kind of thing, then they've they've got the market already there, basically, haven't they? Mm. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> not convinced? I'm not. I'm really not. But um, I 
won't want to put any eggs in any baskets just yet. Right. Well, I'll be in the queue anyway. <laughs> <laughs> as you will be for Wii U as well. Yep. Um, look, <laughs> any new console, anything like that, I, I honestly don't care. I, I'm easily affected by hype, and so I'm, I'll, I'll be there day one. Wii U, really? Yes. Day, day one. Well, well, maybe not day one. I'll, day two, I'll wait. A push. <laughs> I'll wait for the genuine lunatics to move from the, you know, the front of the queue. <laughs> the guys coming dressed up as Super Mario and that kind of thing. Okay, I look forward to hearing what you think of it. Actually, <laughs> well, for, that makes a nice little segue then into a little bit of Nintendo news. Um, pretty big 3DS price drop. Was anyone surprised by this? They've taken a pretty big hit in terms of hardware sales. Um, first financial quarter, they're down. Um, lowest share price for about nine years. They're pretty much scrapping, what, 40% off the price in Japan, and we're getting about a third off here, the same as the US. I mean, is this just a more realistic price point? Did, did, were the shops a little bit greedy to assume that everyone was going to pay full whack for another Nintendo console? I think they expected it to have the shiny, shiny appeal, didn't they, with the 3D, so they could charge two fifty, three hundred pounds for it. But now you can get them at stupid prices. Now I think they're going as cheap as one hundred and fifteen, and even plus a price match and knocking a third off it, so you can get it for a hundred quid now. So I'm I'm surprised it's gone that low because every new console has a massive initial launch price, like PS3, it was four, five hundred pound initially. Won it or something ridiculous. So, but I'm surprised they've dropped it that much. That's I wasn't totally surprised about the actual price being dropped because personally I'm not a massive handheld gamer anyway um, and I kind of see the market on the decline for things like the PSP and things like the 3DS so I thought it was optimistic of them to price it like that in a market which seems to be waning anyway it's being kind of eaten alive by Android and iPhone and stuff like that so I think they just realized that and backtracked and quite surprisingly apologized they seem to be really apologetic about it and uh, just giving away stuff to try and entice people to buy the console so that the developers are still interested and it doesn't suffer the same fate as the original PSP and just dwindle and die. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost seems, you know, in the manner that they are so apologetic, mainly, it, you know, it's, it's going beyond the kind of press public who are there and they're basically apologising to shareholders anywhere, almost as if they, they imagined that, it it couldn't happen to them. I mean, we, you know, we saw after the PSP was launched uh, and after the PS3 was launched, there's that initial drop-off period after, you know, the early adopters get it, get them and then the casual crowd see that it uh, costs a little bit too much for them to dip their toes in the water yet and the games just aren't out there. And really, you know, we're in the, the middle of summer. You're not getting the, the big games out at the moment. But, I mean, it, it I think it knocked the... Uh, PSP 3000 off the top of the um, handheld hardware sales in um, Japan for a couple of weeks in July. But that was all down to Star Fox 3D being launched. I mean, at this new price point, would anyone bet against it doing the same in this country when you get a big hitter like that coming out? Well, no, because people think it's cheap enough just to go out and have a little blast on it and then sell it on again. What? They'll, I think it's that cheap now that... I think that's the intention now that people think it's cheap enough for... A, your average Joe to go out and just have a see what everyone's been babbling on about it for. Does it just devalue the device though? I mean, a lot a lot of the things like the PSP, they value their price because it's you know it's a luxury item. Um, as a 3D, just 
3DS kind of just said, look, we, we know it's kind of terrible, but here's some money off the price and buy it anyway. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it seems to be a sign of weakness on my part. I don't know. Yeah, see, that's, that's I mean, that's the real kind of um, trouble. They're, they're, they're teetering on a nice little tightrope there between knocking off enough to entice people and knocking off so much that you're basically saying, this is a fire sale. Get them while they're <laughs> still available. <laughs> exactly, yeah. They are bringing out a new colour though this in summer. I think the new red colour coming out soon. Oh well, that, that changes everything. I want one. Oh no, <laughs> oh, it's red. It just seems that they've an odd time to drop the the price when they're bringing out a new console. It just seems to contradict itself. Do you think with a new launch, it's just it's just all over at I minute. Mean, I think with the advertising and strategies, it's just. See, I mean, the weird thing is, is that a lot of the criticism of the 3DS has basically been things like. Um, poor battery life and and that kind of thing but those are generally kind of aspects that only those reading the gaming press and interested in that kind of thing are picking up on they've basically not been able to sell it as well as they obviously would have hoped to the casual market so but what what i think is it's like we said I th- we, we covered it in the very first podcast didn't we uh and what i said then i still feel now if the 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 ds was popular for people to buy their kids and also marketed at um, older people. And anyone in either of those groups, parents buying for their children or older people that are now presented with a 3DS, I just think most of them would say, what do I need 3D for? Mm. I, I can't imagine those people buying the, the new thing. Maybe parents for their children in some places, but most people I know with kids haven't bothered to buy a 3DS for them. And isn't there a minimum age anyway? A recommended minimum age to work with the three, you know, to use the three D. And I, I think there is, but I think that that was a large amount of Nintendo basically covering their backsides to stop yeah. children throwing up everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I, that's what I still I still don't know quite who it's aimed at. Who you know, in the lot, so you'd let the early adopters, you'd let the people like maybe not necessarily us, but like us, going out and buying it straight away. But then after that, who's left? Yeah, I mean the the people going into the the shop and just generally kind of having a little poke around with it aren't aren't the ones who are saying I'm getting this because have you seen the you know the bus speed on the ARM processor, you know the, they're not seeing that they're not seeing a more powerful console they're not seeing you know the analog stick what they're seeing is something the same size the same shape as something that they've already got, and if they're not wowed by the 3D effect, you know really what else is there? just underlines the sort of 3D apathy that is just pervasive through everything. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but anybody I know doesn't particularly care that much about 3D. Movies no. at the cinema, TV, game. I don't see why game consoles should be any any different. So they, they just bet far too much on 3D, and now they're eating it on the other end because they're having to drop the price and try and get people interested. It'll be dead in a few years. <laughs> it will. Prediction. Mark my words. All 3D. Well, not you know, because I bought my um, my four year old a little magazine the other day with those red and blue glasses on the front. Um, <laughs> so I reckon that will still be around. But um, <laughs> but yeah, cinemas—they're um, not profit. Did you see the thing about the Harry Potter in the cinema where there were signs outside saying "We know this movie is dark." You know, the the experience <laughs> at the cinema isn't isn't as good. I, I can't imagine people wanting to sit in their living rooms with glasses on. Um, and similarly with the 3DS, people, like uh, Leon said, it's just there's apathy. People don't care. 
Yeah. Well, maybe anyone then convinced that the ambassador program is going to heal any of those scars from the people who have recently paid top whack for it and then seen it drop down by a third. I mean, you're getting no. 10 free NES games, 10 Game Boy Advance games. They're not bad games. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd be still feeling pretty burned if I bought one, though, to be honest. The but Zelda. The Legend of Zelda, Super Mario Brothers. Are you telling me that you've played those games before? <laughs> all, all brand new titles, obviously. Yeah, um, exactly. But that's what Nintendo fans like. I mean, hey, it's it's Nintendo. They they feed you the same stuff over and over, and and they they love it. So, I guess it will work because that's what they like. All the titles they've played before. Sorry, Sorry to generalise over <laughs> Nintendo. <fans. laughs> I, I, I could feel it there. But yeah, it just that seems to be the bottom line for me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my general view is is a bit like um, a bit like yours. That it's it almost smacks a bit of desperation rather than someone who's confident that they can take back the lead in a in a handheld console market. It's a little bit... uh, this time next year or whenever it is, when the Wii U comes out, I, I, I reckon they're going to be in exactly the same position as then. I agree. Because nobody but Mark's going to buy one. Yeah, it'll just be Mark still going on about how the pad's kind of portable. But it is. <laughs> you can carry it around the it. house. As long as it's got a clock on it, then it'll be all right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about the clock on the PSP Go. <laughs> Quality feature. Thing is, thing is, I wouldn't want to. Um, I wouldn't want to place any money against Nintendo because they did that. If you'd have transported me back to whenever the Wii was announced or what was it, the Revolution, then I would have said the same thing. I said, you know, a couple of years down the line, that's going to be dead. That's going to be a fad, but. Here we are, they're rolling in money, and now they're making crazy decisions again. So who am I to question? Exactly. I mean, I, I can remember picking up a, a DS from, I think I picked the first one up from Japan because I couldn't get a PSP because they were sold out everywhere. You know, and everyone was saying, basically, Nintendo have been blown out of the water. So they've done it before. Maybe they'll do it again. But um, no one here seems overly optimistic <laughs> about their chances. I'm not, but cautious. To damn it completely, I think. Fair enough then. So from console news onto what we've been playing this month, and um, Ben, you've been looking at Back to the Future. I have a bit of eighties kitsch. Yeah, yeah. So on um, uh, last week or the week before, under the place PSN summer sale for a few days, all five episodes of Back to the Future were available for eight pounds or so. So I picked them up. And it's a it's a point and click um, by Telltale. So if you've played any of their others, um, you'll you'll have a pretty good sense of what it is like to play. Um, and I thought it was really good. Having I, I've written a review for the site, which has gone up today, um, and I was quite positive about it. Having looked at some other reviews now, it's it's had a bit of a hard time, I think, and I'm I'm not quite sure why. So um, it's very simple. Uh, there's five episodes for about two hours each. But I think it's necessarily simple from the developer's point of view, because if you make something that's quite tough and people go out and buy episode one, I'm not sure who'd go out and buy episode two if they don't manage to make it all the way through. So, yeah, it's quite easy. But the storyline-wise, it's great. And it's like a fourth Back to the Future movie. It takes place not long after the third film. And the time period they go back to most frequently is the early 30s, um, Prohibition era. 
the Tannen involved is Kid Tannen, who's a mob boss. And uh, it's all of the characters that you'd want. Um, Christopher Lloyd is in there um, as Emmett Brown and is fantastic, as you'd hope. The chap that does the voice for Marty McFly does the best impression of an 80s um, Michael J. Fox you're ever going to hear. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, and it's just got everything you'd want. So it's got loads and loads of in-jokes all the way through. But it's not... Um, I don't know whether you played the Ghostbusters game from a couple of years back. That lifted parts out of the Ghostbusters movies. This doesn't do that. It has the same settings. It makes loads of references. But um, it's, a, it's an original story, and it's a decent story. I mean, it, you can... You could probably argue that it's a film-length story stretched out to about 10 or 12 hours of gameplay. But, um, but you know, what do you expect? I think it's great. I think, I think it's well worth a look. Is it as crazy as Monkey Island was? You know, is it as eccentric, I guess, is the question. Um, it's, it's just very back to the future. It's, it feels like watching one of the films, the way that, it, you know, the lines that everyone says... Um, I'm stopping short of doing any impressions of anyone. <laughs> but you can imagine, you know, uh, the, the story was um, that one of the writers from the films was involved in writing the story, Bob Dale. And it really does show through. I think the thing that really struck me about it from start to finish was the people involved in making this game love those movies. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's fairly wacky. And some of the things you've got to do are odd but everything's consistent with the story they're trying to tell um but it is very, like i say it's very simplistic i've heard that um lloyd absolutely nails doc in this i mean he, he's got all the enthusiasm there yeah that, i mean I, I made a point of it in the review i it's just there's so much energy it's like um it's, it's like there's been no gap between the end of the third film and this it's it's a brilliant performance it's great and the the visuals are really stylized as well um really distinctive um and everything is just kind of in keeping everything feels right um it's hard from a gameplay point of view there's a lot to criticize from a kind of um nostalgia point of view there's nothing but good things to say about it i think when you say gameplay-wise, um, when I think of point and click, I find myself thinking of clicking around the screen forever, trying to hunt, pixel hunt, and, and things not making sense, like having to find a pineapple and craft its skin into a key for some sort of cupboard somewhere. <laughs> yeah, something weird like that. Is it, is it like that? Are, are the solutions no. to puzzles and stuff just what, really weird? For a, no, not at all. For a start, um, it's not the most... Uh, robust is a bit of a generous word it, the hint system they, it basically tells you the answer if you press it enough times um, okay. so you're never going to get stuck the, you know how um, in some of the old point and click claims you'd have to combine loads of objects to do something there's mm. no combination it's like pick this thing up there use it over there there's, some of it needs a little bit of thinking about and there's a couple of bits where uh, there's kind of a reflex element to it you've got to do things fairly swiftly but nothing that you'd get stuck on at all um, you just have to think about it for a little bit and you do it. And the objects around the screen that you can interact with are all fairly obvious to look at. And there's certainly no sort of nothing down to the, you know, the sort of small pixel level or whatever. It's just you can see what's there and, and you'll talk to someone and they'll say, you know, oh, how about that thing over there? You might want to have a look at that. You know, it's really, really simple. OK, that sounds good. It is well worth a look. It's on the iPad as well, I think. Uh, it's on PSN and it's on PC. So I mean, is 
is that then the major kind of bonus to this then is the the thing that's kind of drawing you to praise it is it the game itself or is it your nostalgia for the actual films that's a fair question um i mean if some if someone was coming to this say without having seen the films can you will they say instantly well this is you know kind of a telltale games point and click you know it's up there with the quality of their other output I'll enjoy it. You know, it's got it's got the same level of humor. I mean, you didn't have to play the original like uh, Sam and Max games to to enjoy the recent versions. No, and it's certainly not as, as off the wall as the Sam and Max games. I think this is probably for people that grew up with the films. Um, but the story, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't recommend it to someone who wasn't familiar with the films. Certainly wouldn't recommend it to someone who didn't like the films if that person exists. Um, I mean, does it rely on in, in jokes and you know? It uh, rely is a bit strong, but yeah, there's a lot of in jokes. I mean, there's just it's just things like the whole atmosphere of the thing. You know, the the first time you see the DeLorean hit 88 miles an hour, and the, you know the two the flames come out, and the music starts up, and it's you know it's it's great, it's exciting. I felt like I was whatever age I was then, again seven. <laughs> seven? When, when when were the films out? Mid 80s, the first one, 85. <laughs> so I, I would have been about yeah, I would have been five or six. And and it really did throw me back there. So yeah, I mean it's a fair point. This is, it's a review, it's a positive re- review primarily from the point of view of nostalgia. But how often do you see games really deliver on that for for the player? I mean I reviewed Ghostbusters and I really didn't feel it there, even though there were loads of people involved. And games through the years have failed to deliver on the kind of the what made the movie what it was. Whereas I think they've really done it here. They love, they clearly love the films, and they've kind of honoured the films with this claim. I mean, it, it is interesting hearing, you know, all the things that you, you like about it. When you look down the list of, say, um, movie to game adaptations that have done well, there are a fair few there that try to deviate from the original storyline. You know, if you think, uh, look at things like. Um, Enter the Matrix got a lot of criticism in some places, but uh, you know, pluses and minuses. It was at least ambitious. It was trying to tie something in. Um, Knights of the Old Republic. You know, a lot of the kind of decent games tend to kind of deviate away from the almost linearity of the storyline. There, you know, is, is that kind of a bonus here that it's not telling just the same story, but it, it's it's something new and something fresh. Yeah, it definitely counts for something. I mean, even even Goldeneye, I thought, like the single player, um, I was never massively keen on. Um, <gasps> How no, dare well, you? Listen, uh, <laughs> when was the last time... Have, have any of you played it in the last few years? Yes. Yes. What? what oh, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble, aren't I? From that yes, you can tell what my thoughts are. I mean, I I loved it at the t- I loved leading myself out of a hole. I loved it at, at the time, the same as everyone else did. But I, having played it more recently, I wasn't so sure anymore. I'm with you on that. It doesn't hold up. Thanks. silent. Throw you a bit of a life ring there, just for Cheers. a second. <laughs> but enter, uh, well, going back to Enter the Matrix very quickly, um, there was a reason for that, wasn't there? Because that was in between the second and third films. And when they brought out Path of Neo, which was after everything had finished, I think they were then free to go and tell the whole story. Yeah, they, were, they were trying was to, all right. Yeah, they were trying to flesh everything out and trying to build like a kind of... I think the Wachowskis were trying to basically build a massive kind of... Um, 
Star Wars like empire of a kind of you know whole universal storylines they could weave in and out of comics and films and things you know but so you're not a fan of Golden Knight <laughs> that's not what I said at all. what I said I'm maybe paraphrasing but that's I'm pretty sure that's what you said <laughs> that's, a summa- that's a summation of what you said basically <laughs> yeah alright fair enough <laughs> no but I mean Back to the Future it's um, it for you then it, it encapsulates all that you kind of liked about the 80s films and, and it's it's got enough nostalgia there but it, it, I suppose you'd say it's underpinned by decent enough gameplay I mean there's been criticisms that the, the hints are a little bit well taking the word hint quite liberally yeah i mean there are some gameplay issues um the the controls are sometimes a bit off so um like with the other telltale games it's not point and click to move it's point and click to select and then on the ps3 you use the analog stick to walk around and on the pc you'd use the mouse and drag to move around and it's a bit awkward uh and sometimes it's just uh, when i played it through on the ps3 sometimes it's just completely inaccurate but not that often not not often enough to become a real problem but you'll notice it every now and then there's the odd graphical glitch here and there it's um it's not the tightest but see this is the thing i think it is all forgivable and there's nothing that's game breaking in there and the quality of the scripting the acting and just the whole kind of atmosphere of the game make up for it but yeah i would caveat that by saying it's worth it for a fan um for a fan i think it adds something uh like it's not like something where you'll play it and then afterwards you think i kind of wish i'd never seen that content because they've they've completely misjudged what i'd want it actually adds something you feel quite pleased with it afterwards um as a non-fan probably no you wouldn't get anything out of it and so what's the kind of uh sorry what were the kind of prices for that i mean have they have they pitched at the right kind of price point for all the episodes well when i got it for eight pounds it was an absolute steal i think um it's about i think it's 16.99 is retail price it's download only but from what i understand it'll be there'll be a retail copy out in the next couple of months at some point um, the fixed price on all the sites is $25, and that seems to translate to about £16, £17, which is reasonable. But l- with all of these kind of things, they'll go through periods where they're on sale somewhere, and I'd probably recommend waiting for a, you know, just to pick it up fairly cheap. You don't need to rush out and play this. Um, and once it goes to retail versions, you'll be able to pick up a cheap copy, and it's well worth it. Right, well, going from one semi-budget game to another. Steve, you've been looking at Earth Defence Force, or the latest in the series. Um, you seemed quite impressed by it, certainly for, for a fun shooter. Yeah, um, I mean, I was actually quite surprised by how much I quite enjoyed it. I mean, it's not an amazing game by any stretch of imagination, but it's it's like with Ben, you've got to take it for what it is. I mean, it, it's intended to be a budget title. It's never, it's never going to have a £40 price tag. It's always pitched at, like, £20, which... For what it is, its graphics aren't great and its gameplay is not great, but it's just completely focused on fun and letting you just... It's just setting you in the middle of, like, a town or city and just killing hundreds and hundreds of enemies with, quite frankly, as many guns as you want. It's like it's like having, like, the guns of Borderlands, but in a sort of world, like... I can't help but think it's sort of, like, cracked down while we're playing it. I don't know why, but it's kind of just giving you a load of guns, go kill a load of ginormous insects that you don't actually know where they come from at any point which is one bad thing with the story but it's just 
I couldn't really find anything wrong with it without criticising it and being too harsh for it, saying it's got a crap story. Or, I mean, the dialogue is cheesy, but as I said in the review on the site, it's it's actually quite funny at points. The intel fella and who keeps like telling you like updates you on enemy info is actually quite without meaning to. He quite he, like makes you chuckle every now and again. So it's 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 something you need to try. I'd definitely suggest it. Like, especially now, it's launched at the right time in the summer drought, as we call it, because it's not got any rivals, really. And for for what it is, for the seven hours, eight hours of the solo campaign, it's it's pretty good fun, really. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it gained quite a, quite a good following. There were a lot of people saying that it was a kind of gamer's game, the, the series in general, um, old-school shooting fun. And... I mean, you mentioned seven hours there, and and I suppose one one slight criticism could be, you know, overall length. But yeah. what what you have to understand is that these kind of old school shooting games were repetitive by nature, and so they were they were kind of pick up and play titles. You know, it it's oh, there. It's yeah. so the kind of minor graphical problems that are there. You're never really meant to be. Um, admiring the scenery for any great amount of time are you you know it, it's oh, no. it's trying to push you into frenetic action from start to finish yeah i mean definitely i mean even though it's seven hours that's one playthrough and there's four four or five different difficulty modes i mean the the most the highest setting is just ridiculous i mean i didn't play it for any length of time on that setting because i'm i'm too much of a wuss i get killed got killed every five seconds and just throw a pad across the room but <laughs> There's there's definitely a lot to unlock if you like the guns cost certain guns are locked to certain difficulty levels so you can only get to a certain tier if you play it on a certain difficulty level so you have to go back and play it and get enough credits to actually buy the guns buy the new armor and and what have you and then there's the um, the co-op as well there's a three player co-op don't ask me why it's not four but three three people can play it together through the campaign and that just I mean that's what people have wanted all the time but a solid multiplayer aspect for this sort of game. I mean, from what I played, there was very little sort of lag issues. It played fairly well, and it makes it even more... Because if you can get... Especially if you can get three friends to play, it just makes... It just adds to its appeal, really, because it's just even more fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of... That kind of multiplayer game, you know, um, a bit like taking on the old kind of dungeon crawlers or the like that were very simplistic in nature. You just wanted to get a few friends together, and then it was just basically a blast through yeah yeah definitely i mean it's just all you want to do is you just want to get a few mates around kill as many giant ants and giant spiders as you can and unlock the biggest guns and the biggest armor and just it's just a it's just a muck around really and it and it pulls it off really really well surprisingly it's also, yeah. downloadable is that right um i'm not sure i mean i played it on ps3 but i'm i'm not sure if you can download it on i'm a, it's probably on the PSN because a lot of games come out to download on there, but I'm I'm not sure to be honest with you. Okay, it, it's well worth a look, Ben. I mean, it, it's um, it, it's one of those where you're not too bothered about listening to to the cutscenes or or you know the the objectives are basically going to be kill everything. So you know it, it's it's never going to tax your brain, but it, it's back to those kind of old type of games where you had a certain amount of unlockables, you know, upgradable armor and uh, different weapons and the like. And that's basically what the, the kind of carrot on the end of the stick was. 
your playthrough for you know the big environments and just blowing as many things up as possible and then you kind of your your trophy at the end of it is just a bigger gun to blow things up with <laughs> more quickly and so it, it almost kind of like concentric circles your, your replay value just goes may kind of dwindle there'll be an end point where you stop playing it where you've got everything but each playthrough basically seems to take you a little less time but it still still remains a fun game yeah i think i'll give it a try i like the fact that the um the, the enemies look a little bit like starship troopers job as well <laughs> winner they should probably just go ahead and do that. Just reskin it and start the Troopers game it. I think I think I'd, I'd be interested in that. Interested in that actually. Uh, yeah. I bet someone will do that now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm from one decent shoot 'em up to I suppose another of sorts. Uh, Child of Eden, Lynn, You've been looking at this one. Indeed. What were your thoughts on it? Um, it's, it's quite strange to be honest because it's one of those games that. I just love um, irrationally. Um, Res, I enjoyed pretty much as well, um, and this really is just a spiritual successor. If you liked Res, you pretty much will like this. Um, everybody seems to be very interested in the Connect. They even pimp it on the box, saying that it's it's all about Connect. But for me, it, it is with a controller, just the return of the on-rail shooter, um, which has been just destined to die off for, for years and years. But now, with this, it seems to be much better. I think. Yeah, I mean, we we were having a little chat uh, before the podcast about um, things to do with Connect, and that I was mentioning a few of my problems. Uh, did you find find it worked naturally? Um, not particularly. I mean, my lounge isn't actually that big anyway, um, so I had a weird situation where I was pushing the Connect as far against the back wall as I could, and I was actually like hop, standing on my sofa because when I was standing in front of my sofa, it wouldn't actually recognize me or it would do that thing where it wouldn't pick you up. But if I stood on the sofa, it was really weird. I, I, I could actually do it. Um, so I didn't really get that much um, good experience with the Kinect. But from what I could tell, I, it's, the game is, is just easier. Um, there's less enemies on the screen. It's less about what the game is meant to be for me, which is totally in time with the music and the graphics and using it and touting that whole synesthesia thing that, that they love advertising with this game and where it, it's all building up to this massive crescendo of visuals and you playing with the music and stuff like that and I just didn't get the feeling I'll be able to do that with Connect. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had a few problems. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just basically found that the whole, the whole idea of the game to kind of let um, this, this kind of sensory overload wash over you just seems to work better if you're kind of nailed to your armchair and kind of, you know, your head's going back because it's it kind of retina scorching colours are flying out of the screen at you. Mm. And as soon as you, you, you put in this kind of controller that you're not used to and maybe it's it's a question of a certain amount of time, maybe you get acclimatised to it. But as soon as that happens, you automatically standing up, you, you go closer to the screen you're waving your arms about, and it, it almost becomes more of a case of um, getting in touch with a certain amount of spatial awareness and working out where your arms are, rather than actually, say, aiming and taking any real notice of what's kind of flowing over you. I mean, I, I don't know, perhaps um, Tetsuya Mitsuguchi had that in mind. I mean, perhaps it, it's a way um, that he considered almost taking players out of that um, almost conscious stream of looking at everything that's on the screen and just allowing it to kind of wash over you but i just found myself 
too much wanting to try and find a way to sit down. <laughs> you just want to sit down and do it, don't you? That's the, that's, a, option. that's the thing with Connect. It's all meant to be. I mean, this is the thing. I, the problem with Child of Eden to me is mainly that it's so Connect focused. Um, for me, Connect, it's all about making you more into the experience. You know, they reckon because you're pointing at the screen, you're going to feel more in touch with it and it's going to be a better gameplay experience. But personally, I am so at one with a pad at this point. You know, I don't need to look down at it. I don't, I don't need to think about what I'm doing. I am completely involved in the experience on the screen with a pad in my hand. That is just what it is for me. And to actually put a different control scheme in front of me actually detaches me from it, um, weirdly. I don't know whether people who have just discovered gaming and just walk in and think Connect is the way you control a game just love it and think it's brilliant. But for me, it's adding another level in, in the middle between me and the game, which just takes me out of it. That's, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, that's what I think the problem with most motion control is. With a pad, uh, over the years, there's a fair amount of standardization that's come around. Um, whether, you're, whether you've got an Xbox pad or a PS3 pad, you know what shoot is going to be. You generally know what jump is going to be, reload. It depends on the game, but most of the time, from when you pick the pad up, you'll have a good sense of how to control it, and then you won't think about the pad anymore. Exactly. Um, but with Connect, uh, with Move, with everything... Uh, it's so variable from game to game because of what they're trying to do with it. Uh, it does, yeah, like you say, it adds an extra, it adds an extra layer. And I think it's a real problem. And I think for me, anyway, it's unsolvable. Like I can't see. It's not like I'm saying that there's no future for something for motion control, but I do kind of feel like there's not that much of a future for me with motion control. That I'll always be a pad player. Mm. It's just a distraction in my eyes um, with gaming. I think, to be honest, Connect, it's more, I want the interface more than anything else. <laughs> I want to be able to control my dashboard with it. I want to be able to do a whole minority report thing. Um, and, and that's about it. I, don't, I actually don't want it in my games. But it, does, it doesn't really take away from Child of Eden because you can play it with the pad. And it is, to be fair, quite awesome with the pad. Um, it's just my, it's so hard to explain. Um, it's, it's what's actually on the screen just... I think it's made to make your brain explode. Um, I don't know. I think it's some sort of experiment um, by the army to sort of see if they can actually get inside people's minds because the things that happen on that screen are just just, just mad. I'm sitting there. One of the screenshots for my review, I think the, the title underneath it was literally, I have no idea what's going on. Because, <laughs> because I don't. It, it's crazy. There are space animals floating through space and, and the music's going off. And all I know is by the end of it, I'm, I'm happy. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the weird thing is, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned everything kind of going off at once and it, it's kind of uh, almost unexplainable. But one of the things that really struck me about this and one of the reasons why I loved Res as well, which was because it's an on basically an on-rail shooter or, or whether you want to call it a kind of rhythm action game or whatever, but it, it ties all those things together. But a bit like automatically knowing which buttons to press on a pad and, you know, where the analog stick's going to be and, and the like when playing like an FPS or something, you seem to know what to do in res. Anyway, there's, there's no great need for a tutorial. Mm. I mean, it is basically shooting everything on screen, but there are little, you know, you, you change weapons and, you know, little moments where like you use euphoria and the like, but it all does seem to kind of flow naturally, almost like, um, well, like it, like Mitsuguchi's kind of orchestrated it, like it, like it is uh, kind of a, uh, like a, a composition of music, you know, it, it hits a crescendo at a given point and then yeah. it all just gently kind of ebbs away and that kind of relaxation at the end of a level once you've got through it and it's steadily gotten faster and faster and faster and then it just 
kind of gently fades away. You know, it's it's quite unlike anything else. You know, certainly on the current generation. Mm. Its greatest trick is that it's um, a rhythm game masquerading as an on-rail shooter. That's what I think, because a lot of people will play it and think, oh, you're just firing at the screen. But it's not about just clearing the screen. It is about doing it in time with the music. And once you've played it long enough, I get to the point now where I'm not just playing it to get a high score to clear it off the screen. Uh, I'm using the snare drum on the enemy, and I'm, I'm using a different weapon because it creates a different sound. And when you, when you finish the game, you can actually get skins for the screen to make it look different. Um, and you can also uh, change the sounds a little bit. So you can affect the soundtrack, and it sounds completely different. And you can affect the beat, which it's, it's really good. Um, you, you do just end up getting into some sort of trance when you're playing it, which is a bit weird. People have said it's quite short. Like short? Yeah, as so not a very long game. Oh, the game, right? <laughs> yeah, it's um, definitely they, they stretch it out. I mean, it's a point system. You get so many points for completing a level, and you need so many points to unlock the next level. And, and after about the third level, they make you replay one that you've already done to gain more points and get through. Um, but it's it's not long, and that is the main bugbear with it. I mean, when it when it came out, um, I first thought, well, I'll go and download that. I checked on Xbox Live Arcade because that's where Res was, and I just naturally assumed that that's where this would be. Um, but then I found out that I actually had to go to the shop and buy it and pay thirty nine ninety nine. And this is where I'm conflicted. I love the game, I really do, but I somehow can't recommend someone paying thirty nine ninety nine for it. Do you think no. part of the reason they feel they can get away with that is because of how connect heavy the whole thing is? It's like this it's this big connect. The reason why I don't own it and haven't played it is because I thought this is something that's supposed to be done with connect and, and doing it with a pad wouldn't be the same. In my opinion, it's better with the pad. Um, but then again, I'm an old cynical gamer who's afraid to embrace connect apparently. Um, so <laughs> you there, and me there both. we go. You know, so um, it is good with Connect, and some people do say that it, it does do that thing where it pulls you into the game. But for me personally, not the case. I don't know. I don't think thirty nine ninety nine is justified by Connect. Um, I, th I think they're just trading off Mizuguchi, to be honest. Um, that's kind of why I bought it because of the history of that and Res and Connect was really just a, an extra add on, which I don't really care too much about. I think I think perhaps you know the reason why it's it's pushed as a as a kind of full price title is that basically when you ask yourself in the marketplace what are your other options you know what else are you going to buy you know it, it's not like you can say oh well you know i'm not paying full price for that i'll buy x or y for you know 25 quid or you know buy it second hand or something basically it is so unique at the moment other than you know res if you want to download that but in terms of the connect sensor it's basically well it's being touted as you know a reason to buy connect by many i think they've they've taken it as a bit of a perfect storm i mean that the same people are going to buy this game whether they advertised it or connect was in it or not all the mizuguchi fans were going to flock out and buy this no matter what they did but they had an opportunity to tie in with connect and connect needs something right now i mean i don't know about you guys i don't have it i borrowed it for this review but i played child of eden i didn't really play anything else with it it needs that full-time triple a you know system seller or add-on seller as it might be um and they were hoping that child of eden is it and it is but sadly not because of connect which i don't think that's what they were going for so Something else perhaps will come along. Maybe Fruit Ninja. That's, um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the one which will get everybody in there. Who knows? Yeah, well, I, I've got to kind of agree with you there. I mean, I, I've got Connect and I just I found myself 
trying to get into it, trying to find a way to make it work in the same manner that, you know, so that it would feel completely natural. But, you know, really, I, you always fall back to a, a, a nice control pad. And the 360s pad is just so comfortable in the hands anyway mm. that it just seems to it just seems to work so well with that. And and as you said, you know, it, it's when you get to the point where you start thinking that you can connect up particular moves and and kind of relay them in with the with the rhythm of the game in the right manner. When you can do that better with one controller than the other, then there's really no competition. I mean, otherwise you're just kind of playing it with a with a more expensive peripheral for the sake of it you can use the pads as well you know if you um hold two pads in your hands while you're like firing your arms at the screen in that motion you do they um they vibrate and you get it's in, it, it's in time because i don't know if you saw the uh extra add-ons that they had for res but you know they're they're going with that same thing where you could they were gonna they had a belt the developers did where they uh strapped four controllers to different parts of their body and it, uh, uh, yeah i heard about that mitsugushi's Full controller vibrating corset, I think it's been called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they didn't Sold. bring that out. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, if you want the best of both worlds, go ahead and use the controllers with it. But for me, um, plus I like sitting down. So <laughs> there we go. You know, I was going to say it, it just sounds at the end of the day that we're all just basically lazy. Yep, I'll admit to that. Yeah, I I game to relax, and I relax sat down. It's, it's that simple. Right, that's all for this month's podcast. Um, all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Ben, Steve, and Leon. Cheers, gents. Cheers, thanks. Thank you. And I've been Mark Botright, and I will see you again next time. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.